Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger for this week's message from Story Point Church. So here's the message for today. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. I want to start by saying that God is always at work. Isn't he? God is always at work. The reason we're called Story Point Church is because we believe that God's stories are our stories. We believe that God loves to use His people to tell His own story. And the coolest thing about being a follower of Jesus is that we get to be a participant in the stories of God. Sometimes they're just simple stories. You know, sometimes they're just funny or, or silly or, or, you know, just seemingly regular. And then sometimes there are these giant stories where we go, wow, did you see that, right? And the, 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 the key is to not, be ex- to not expect a certain kind of story just to let God produce the stories. So when you're listening to God, when you're walking in the Spirit, which is what the Bible says for us to do, we're always in the position where God can begin to create a story, or God can actually not create, but fulfill a story, tell a story through us. Because God is always at work. And He loves doing His work through His people. Now, the best way for God to use you in His stories is for you to be healthy. This is not saying that He's not going to use you if you're not healthy. But just think about it. The best way for you to be a, a, a voice for God is when you're right with God, right? Right? It just makes sense. You're only the best father when you're right with God. You're the best wife when you're right with God. You're the best child when you're right with God. So naturally, that extends to everything else we do. So ideally, you want to stay in the right relationship with God and always be listening. But God even uses those who weren't right with Him. It's amazing how He does that. My seminary professors, used to, or one of them in particular, used to say, Jeff, don't ever forget God makes straight licks with crooked sticks. Think about that. Straight licks with crooked sticks. He was saying, even though you're a bonehead sometimes, God still can use you. So even though you're a bonehead sometimes, God still can use you. But he prefers to use an empty, clean, holy vessel. That's his choice method. In Acts chapter 2, what we see are two of his choice vessels being used by God in a very simple yet very amazing way. They weren't necessarily intending for this event to happen in their life. I imagine they didn't wake up and go, you know what, today I'm going to give feet to a lame man. I imagine they woke up that day and said, Lord, we want to serve you. So wherever you send us, whatever you want us to do, that's what we'll do. So we have this story in Acts chapter 3. We're going to go 1 through 10. The main purpose of this story is that God is setting up the opportunity for John and for Peter to preach the gospel in the temple so that those who are there, and remember, those in the temple are going to be Jews. Therefore, they're not going to be Christ followers. They're going to be those who are Jewish and waiting for the Messiah. So God is giving Peter and John a platform to proclaim that Jesus the Messiah has come to the Jews at the temple. But here's the thing about God, and you can testify to this. God doesn't just do one thing at a time. You ever notice that? 
It's not like God's going, okay, I'm only going to work in you right now, so the rest of the world's going to have to wait. No, he has this ability to shoot, to, to kill five birds with one stone, right? Ten birds, a hundred. How in the world God can be listening to every prayer, to know every heart at the same time, is simply a definition of who God is. But that's what he does. He does it on Sunday morning all the time. He might say one thing to you. He might say another thing to you and say another thing to you and another thing to you. And I didn't say any of that. And, and you come up and say, man, I love what God said to you. And I'm like, well, well, I didn't say that. But that's fine. That's what God does. So don't miss this. Even though the setup here is to preach the gospel in the temple... God is still using the story of one man who did not see this coming. He had no idea that his life was about to change forever. He did what he did every day. He got up and his buddies came and carried him to the temple gate. Acts chapter 3 verse 1 says, Now Peter and John were getting up together, or excuse me, now Peter and John were going up together to the temple complex at the hour of prayer at three in the afternoon. And a man who was lame from birth was carried there and placed every single day at the temple gate called Beautiful so he could beg from those entering the temple complex. So Peter and John were on their way to the temple at three o'clock. That was the hour of prayer. There was another man on his way to the temple at three o'clock and it was a lame man. Why three o'clock? Because three o'clock was the time when the majority of people would have come to the temple to offer an evening sacrifice. So it was the busiest time. They were smart. John and Peter had a strategy going on, but the lame man had a strategy as well. Now think about it. If you're hungry and you need money, are you going to go when nobody's there or are you going to go when everybody's there? Yeah. So Peter and John went to the temple, most likely looking for the opportunity to be used by God. They didn't know what it was, but they were just going because they wanted, they went to the temple because they wanted to proclaim the gospel, right? They wanted to be used. This lame man was brought there by his friends. Now, here's what we need to understand. Today, if you're lame, you have all kinds of help, right? Today, if, you're, if, if you have an infirmity, if you have a disability, you have government assistance, you have different insurance that could be used, you have different, um, d different programs in the community. It wasn't that way back then, and it's really not that way in much of the world. To be lame is to be a, uh, a death sentence of sorts. This man was lame from birth. That means he could not walk. That means that he was dependent upon someone else for everything. Somebody else had to help him get a bath. Somebody else, or get to a bath, right? Because they didn't just walk in, turn on the water, and take a shower. No, they had to have water there, which means they had to go to the well. How was a lame man going to get to a well, get the water out from the well, carry the water back to his house, and, and wash up? Okay, let's just say they're by the river, or by a lake, or by a pool. How are they going to get there? How are they going to get in? How are you going to swim if you get in? I mean, this is a hard life. Not only that, but how are you going to work? How are you going to be a carpenter? How are you going to be a salesman? The only thing he could do to survive was beg. This was a desperate man. This was a man who had no hope 
except for the kindness of people's hearts on a day-by-day basis. Fortunately, he had some friends. He had friends who would get him up and carry him and sit him down. Now, something happens physically when you're laying, in these days at least. Well, happens now, but specifically in these days, when you don't use muscles, your muscles, there's a technical word for it, your muscles begin to constrict and move in. And, and it begins to become kind of gnarly, right? And, and you become somewhat deformed. And when other people are looking at you, they know, obviously, you've got an issue. And so his feet would have just been probably twisted and all gnarled up. And also, because of that, because of the fact that he couldn't walk, he would have to drag himself anywhere he went. They didn't have streets made out of pavement. He probably didn't have a skateboard that he could move himself along. Couldn't get onto an animal, so he would drag himself wherever he went when his buddies couldn't carry him. That means he would have been covered in dust and he would certainly, if it was raining, be covered in mud. This would have been a man that was in desperate condition. So picture him at the temple gate. By the way, the gate's called what? Beautiful. Isn't that quite an interesting comparison? Actually, just thought of that. It's a beautiful gate with the most certainly unbeautiful man. This was a very popular gate. It was right outside the court of Gentiles up at the Temple Mount. So it was the gate that they would have gone through. Now there are three places that a beggar is going to beg if he's in these conditions. He's going to go and sit by a rich man's gate. Because a rich man's got lots and lots of money, lots of means, lots of ability. And he's going to have people coming and going. So a beggar is going to go sit out in front of a rich man's gate hoping to gain some pity from the rich man and his friends. Or he's gonna go to the marketplace, he's gonna go to somewhere where there's a lot of traffic going through, right? A major road or, or a major thoroughfare, a major intersection, and beg. Or, the smartest thing, go to the temple. Why? Because people are going to the temple on a daily basis in order to make an offering to God. And it's the hope of this man that out of the compassion of people's hearts or in hopes that they might want to impress God by giving to somebody in need that this man could have enough just to eat for the day. All he was thinking about was how do I eat today? How can I survive today? Let me tell you something, folks. There are a lot of people who are living by the day right now. There are a lot of people who don't see past midnight. It's all about today. Maybe you're not in that position, but have you ever been in that position? Have you ever been so desperate where today was the farthest you could see? My prayer is that we will never forget what it feels like to be desperate. Because when we don't forget how to, what it feels like to be desperate, it's a little bit easier to do what I'm going to ask you to do. So that's the condition of the the man. He's at the temple gate, and it just so happens that he was there when God also sent Peter and John there. And when Peter and John got to where this man was, verse 3, when Peter and John were about to enter the temple complex, he asked for help. And I, I, I can't remember what movie I found. It was probably Monty Python. Alms for the poor, right? I mean, he was, he was asking, help me. Please, sir, just a loaf of bread. 
I don't know, maybe it's, he was, he was asking, but, but here's what we know. There was probably some shame going on. Why? He wasn't looking at him. If I could picture this in my mind, he has a sign, maybe, written on cardboard that says, please help, desperate, God bless. And his gnarled feet were out beside him and he was on the ground, leaning up against the gate with dirt and mud covering him. And he was looking down towards the ground and he heard Peter and John coming by and so he said, please help something, please. And Peter and John did something that we need to learn to do. This is the first thing I'm gonna ask of you. It's a, it's a, it, it, it's a way of living, not just an action. The first thing is learn to see people. Do you know how fast we live? Do you know how quickly we live? Do you know how, how, how narrow we oftentimes walk? I've been walking around the block, uh, around the, the sidewalk the last couple of weeks, and I found myself with my friend who sometimes walks with me saying to him, wow, I've never seen that before. Did you know that there was a house there? Wow, look at that guy's car. I mean, I'm noticing things I've never noticed before even though I've driven by there before. Why am I noticing these? Because I'm going slower. I'm going slower because I'm trying to breathe. I can't hardly breathe, right? We need to learn to slow down and see people. And not just see people, but really see people. Brent said it, and he doesn't have any idea what I'm preaching on today. The, the ability to look at people like Jesus sees them. Peter and John, when they walk by, they hear this man say, please, something. And Peter and John look at him, and then they respond to him. Verse 6, they looked at him intently. See that? They looked at him intently. They looked beyond just his condition. And they saw his condition. They looked beyond what he was asking for and they saw what he needed. They looked beyond what everybody else saw was a lame, crippled man who was dirty, begging by a gate. And they saw a man who God deeply and dearly loved. What if we were able to look at people that way? What if the most important person on the planet was the person in front of us at the moment? This is hard. Because we can't just do it with people outside of our family. We're supposed to do it with people inside of our family. Our husband, our wife, our kids. This will come back to bite me. <laughs> Trust me. Our neighbor. Not only that, it's supposed to be with people who don't deserve our attention. People who are ugly, people who are nasty, people who are diseased, people who are mean, people who deserve punishment, not mercy. But you know, as soon as I start thinking that they don't deserve it, I have to just ask how much I really deserve what God has done in my life. To whom much has been forgiven? Or to whom much, is, uh, much has been forgiven? He forgives much, right? 
That's why some of the most generous people on the planet are the people who were once beggars. The people most in need are oftentimes the one who try to meet the most needs. Why? Because they know what it's like to be the recipient of someone's kindness and goodness. And so, if we could learn first to start seeing people, and every single person we meet, look at them, and then take it one step further. This part gets me all excited. Look at them and then ask the question, what can I give them? I promise you, if you will do this, it will change your life. Your life. What can I give them? And every single person you meet, you can give them something. It may be tangible. It may be maybe a dollar. Look, I'll spend a dollar on a cup of coffee all day long. Right? I'll sometimes spend two or three dollars on a cup of coffee. A dollar's nothing to me. But there are some people who a dollar is survival. When I see someone, I need to ask, am I seeing them and what can I give? Seeing them is not enough. Why? Because you don't know what God is doing in their life in that moment at that time. And you are there because God put you there. You didn't just happen to meander by. God said, no, I'm going to direct your steps to this person for this moment. Because you are going to be the hands and the feet of Christ Jesus. It might be tangible. It might be a dollar. It might be a car. It might be a home. It might be intangible. It might be a word of encouragement. It might be a word of hope. It might be a word of truth. It might be a handshake. It might be a hug. It might be a, hey, your kids are going to grow out of this stage. You can give something to everybody you meet. Here's what Peter and John said. They, he, uh, they said, look at us, in verse 5, so the man turned to them, expecting to get something from them. He was expecting a dollar. Actually, he was expecting a shekel, just a little coin. All he could see was the day, but what Peter and John saw was eternity. They said, I do not have silver or gold, but what I do have... I give to you. And that is the key. I don't have silver or gold. But what I do have, I will give to you. See, we need to understand that we're not going to solve everybody's problem. We're not going to fix everybody's addiction. We're not going to get everybody out of a pit. We're not going to change everybody's life. We don't have that ability. Only God does. And even then, it's a cooperation between God and the person who's in need. But what you do have, you not only can give, but you're expected to give. Because what you have, you got because God gave it to you. They said, look, we don't have silver or gold. Isn't it true? Because God told them, look, you're now on my paycheck or, or you're, you're now on my uh, payroll. You used to be fishermen. Now you're going to be preachers of the gospel. Didn't pay all that great back then. 
It just it wasn't it wasn't a, a great gig for 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 make, making a lot of money. So Peter and John would have been day to day, depending on the goodness of God's people to help them to eat so they could preach the gospel. So they go, look, we don't have any money. Look, we'll show you. Our pockets are empty. But what we do have, we will give. And that's what we're asked to do as God's people. What we do have, we give. They said, in the name of Jesus Christ... We don't have a dollar, but what we do have, we have the power and the authority of Jesus Christ, the one who is the son of the living God, who created the heavens and the earth, who came, was crucified, dead, buried, and rose again, condemning sin, hell, death, and the grave. He is the one we give to you. Rise up and walk. I'm thinking the man was going, wow, I didn't expect that. And I'm thinking that the man didn't actually necessarily believe what he was hearing. We know that because the very next verse says that then they immediately reached out their right hand. They grabbed him and they stood him up. As they stood him up, the Bible says that his bones, his feet, his ankles strengthened. And he was suddenly able to walk. We take for granted what it's like to walk. We take for granted what it's like to to move our legs. We, we take for granted what it's like to skip. Some of y'all are going to skip today. You hadn't skipped in a long time, but you're going to go, you know what, I'm going to skip. Well, just if you're going to skip, make sure you skip to my loo, my darling. Um, gee, that was bad. You have no idea the things that run through my mind. I want you to just, just put yourself in this beggar's condition, okay? I want you to place yourself at the gate on the ground. We don't know how old he was, but... Probably wasn't a young guy. Probably wasn't just a teenager. He was probably there for years and years and years. Never walked. When he watched Dancing with the Stars, he only dreamed of the possibility. He said, I'll never do that. He'll never saddle a horse or a camel. He'll never jump off of a bank into the river. He'll never climb up the stairs of the temple. His entire life was spent dragging himself or being drug. And these two men walked by and said, we don't have any dollar for you, but we can give you strength in your feet so you can walk. And then they reached out their hands, they grabbed him. I want you to know this was in the name of of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. That means that when they were speaking, when they were doing this miracle, they were acting on behalf of Jesus of Nazareth. They were acting on behalf of his full authority and his full power. They were his ambassadors. The Bible says we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his own appeal through us. So with, with his authority, they grabbed him, they lifted him up, and his feet strengthened. And the Bible says that he began to walk around, and then he began to leap, and he began to jump. And I suspect he didn't care what people thought at that moment. I suspect he was giddy like a little girl. 
I suspect that he was so excited that he forgot the decorum, he forgot the, uh, 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 the proper etiquette of being there in the temple courts because he was healed. And then the Bible says that he walked into the temple, verse 6, or verse 8. So he jumped up, stood, and he started to walk, and he entered the temple complex with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. The first time in his life he has ever walked into the temple. You know what that is? That's the first time in his life that he met the living God. And he did it because John and Peter were walking by the gate. And they saw him and they gave to him. Do you know that to give what you have to give is sometimes easy? When we become givers, and listen, money's the easiest thing in the world for us to give. It really is. It's those intangible things that's the hardest thing to give. It's giving somebody a word from God that they need at that moment. You might be in a store and you might be walking by a young mom who's obviously frazzled because her kids are all under the age of three. And you may not know her backstory, but she may be dealing with loss. She may be dealing with, with uh, a, a relational issues. She may be dealing with, and, and she might feel the weight of the world on her shoulders. And as you walk by, you hear the voice of God in your ear. And he says to you, say to her that I see her. And you stop for a moment and you say, Lord, did I hear you right? What, what if I'm wrong? What if she slaps me? What if her husband's around the corner? What if she thinks I'm just being weird? And God says, just trust me. And she, you step up and you say, ma'am, I, I, I'm sorry. I, this might seem a little bit weird to you, but I, I feel like God just wants me to say to you that he sees you. She might burst out in tears and say, ah, oh, I needed that so much. She might be angry and say, who do you think you are? Because she might be running from God and you might be God chasing her. You might be a picture of God chasing her. Just get that clear. There's a cost in it, isn't there? Or God might be saying to give to somebody, give something to somebody that doesn't deserve it. They could be a criminal. They could be lazy. They could be shirking responsibility. Or he might say, give something to somebody that is going to put you between them and your crowd. Because if you give to them something that God says, whatever it is God says to give, your crowd is going to be upset with you. They're not the end people, but the end people don't want you part of that. It's what happened to Jesus, wasn't it? Or it's what happened to the woman who came to Jesus when he was at a party. 
Remember, he was sitting at the party and all these uh, well-to-do people and these religious people were sitting there and they were having this, I'm sure, very distinguished conversation. And this woman came in, this woman with a little seedy past. She walks in, she was carrying an alabaster jar. When she gets to Jesus, she ignores everybody in the room. She breaks the bottle open and she pours it on his feet. And the, the folks in the room would have been... <gasps> And then she uses the crown of her own beauty. She takes her hair down and she begins to wash his dirty feet with her hair. And her tears would intermingle with the alabaster jar full of oil. And the crowd watching, insulted. This woman would dare interrupt the party. This woman would dare be so shameful? Does she not know her place? It's not her crowd. Does she not know how nasty his feet are? Boy, I'd love to have been there. Just to fly on the wall though. Because Jesus looked and you know his piercing eyes would have looked at every one of them. He would have said, when I came, you didn't touch my feet. You didn't offer to love me the way she did. This was an outrageous expression of love. And what she did is beautiful. What she did will be remembered for the rest of history. And all you'll be remembered for is for your own arrogance, pride, and greed. Well, he didn't say that, but that's what he meant, I'm sure. Sometimes giving people, giving to people, will put us, it'll pit us between our crowd and the one in need. But can I just say to you, always give as God leads to give. Here's why. Because the most important person in your life at the moment is the person in front of you. I, uh, I'm inspired by two people that I, I listen to and I read, not a whole lot, but occasionally. One of them is Bob Goff. I've talked about him before, I know he's... Man, this guy's a nut. I would so love to just hang out with him a little while. I mean, he, he just, he thinks bigger than reality and it's, 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 he's kooky, I've seen him in per he's kooky and he's crazy, but man, he just loves people. He tells the story, and I don't know, I don't remember the entire part of the story, but basically the gist of it is he was leaving his office one day, and he went to his old jalopy. He had an old raggedy car or truck that he, that he, that he had, and when he got to it, he noticed that there was a guy sleeping in it. Obviously, somebody was probably homeless, and instead of calling the cops, instead of demanding the guy leave, instead of chastising him, he pretty much knocks on the window and says, hey... You mind if I sit in my car with you? To totally different way to look at this. They engage in a conversation and then he decides, well, you know what? Tomorrow my car will be here. If you want to stay while I'm here at work, you're welcome to it. And he develops a friendship with this guy. And so every day they would pretty much change. When he would park, he would leave and this guy would come and stay in his car. Who, who does that? Who does that? 
Somebody who sees people and somebody who's always asking the question, what can I give? I think, if I remember correctly, the guy even steals the car, I think. Is that what happened? Maybe not. Anyways, it was a, it was a cool story. You ought to go back and look at it. It's in a book called Everybody Always. But when I look at Bob Goff's life, I am inspired to be a giver like this. I'm inspired to love people. Another guy is Michael Jr. Funny, funny, funny comedian. The man can make a cockroach happy. Seriously. I mean, he just, he's got the, and here's why he is. Because he approaches comedy by saying, what can I give to people? How can I give people the opportunity to laugh? Instead of getting something from them, I want to give to them. And it has changed his entire routine. And it's changed his influence. But when I look at these two men, here's what happens. I say to myself, I want to be like that. Why? Because when you start seeing people and when you start being a person who's always asking the question, what can I give? Well, I don't have everything, but what I do have, I will give. Here's what happens. The person you give to, it impacts them. You may never see the impact, but it will impact them on some level at some point. It impacts you. The joy that you get in giving is beyond what you can even express, right? And the more you give, the more you want to. But here's the cool part. It inspires other people to be like you. And that's what influence is all about. The bottom line, verse 10, and they recognize, or verse 9, all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple complex, so they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. So they were brought, the whole crowd was brought to the point of being ready to hear the gospel. See, that's how it all ties in together. God works in people's lives, ultimately, so that the gospel will be made known to all the nations. But in the process of him proclaiming the gospel to the nations, you and I and other people get a little piece of the joy along the way. Because God doesn't ever just do one thing. He does a lot of stuff all at the same time. My question to you is very simple. If you're not already doing it, will you change your thinking and change your action? Will you start to see people? Will you start to ask, what can I give with each and every person you meet? (laughs) Man, you wanna have some good stories? You start asking, what can I give? I mean, you just, you just have no idea how cool it is when God uses you to answer a 40-year-old's prayer that was prayed when he was five. It took 35 years to you, for you to cross their path, but God was putting you in that place in that time for just a moment at that, and you're going to walk away going, wow, what a story. Go, God. And God's going to go... Had it planned all along. I was just waiting for the right time and the right moment. And wouldn't you like to be the kind of person that those around you says, say, 
That's my hero. That's who I want to be like. No, we, we don't do that to be somebody's hero. We do it because we want to be faith, faithful to Jesus. But wouldn't it be nice to be the kind of person that other people want to follow? That, 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 that God says, hey, you want to be like me? Follow him. That's what Paul said. Follow me. Because I'm following Christ. Don't you want to be that person? Not always easy. I fail at it more times than I succeed, I'm sure. But man, what a life. You know, it's funny how our entire life is dependent upon this. Without water, we can't exist. And isn't it amazing that Jesus called himself a spring of living water? Anybody thirsty? Come to me. And I will well up inside of you, to paraphrase, I will well up inside of you and give you life-giving water that will never run dry. In other words, he is all that you need. He's all your neighbors need. He's all your children need. He's all the world needs. Will you close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment? I want to invite you. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that today. Say to God, God, I know that I'm a sinner. That means that you've offended God. God, I know that I've broken your commands. But I know that Jesus Christ came and he lived and he died. And when he died on the cross, it was so that I could be made right with you. And God, I trust in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sin and to make me right. I turn to you because you are my only hope. If you are not a believer in Jesus, if you're wrestling with it, if you're struggling with it, I want to invite you to continue pursuing that direction. Because the truth is, God is pursuing you more than you're pursuing Him. That's why He has a nickname of the Hound of Heaven. Our God chases after us. If you're here today and you would say, you know what, I've not been much of a giver. I haven't really been seeing people. But I want to start today to try to learn to do that. It's something you learn. Just offer up to God your hands and your heart and your eyes. Say, God, here I am. I want to try this. And when God gives you a story of your own, would you, would you share that with me? I would love to celebrate with you. As a church team, we would love to celebrate how God is using you. That's not bragging on you. That's bragging on God. That's what our name is all about. Father in heaven, I thank you for your goodness. I pray that these, your people, would recognize how marvelous it is to be used by the God of all creation. I pray that today you would help us to know that you are on your throne and we are your hands and your feet. God, help us to be hungry. Help us to be thirsty for your presence. Lord, that sounds weird, but all it means is, God, we want to know you more. 
Father, would you help us with all of our deficiencies and all of our brokenness and help make us whole through, through our dependence upon you. We ask these things in Jesus, Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand? We're going to take a moment and just kind of reflect on what God has shown us. As we sing this, I want you to sing it to God as a prayer. And whatever he's doing in your life, you respond to him now.